You're listening to the Far Post Perth podcast. News, views and banter on everything football. Hello and welcome along to the Far Post Perth podcast. It's been a long time since we had a little get-together to chat about the state of football in WA and beyond, but my name is Neil Sherwin and I'm very happy to be joined by Blaine Treadgold and Donna Jeffrey. Guys, how are we? Good, how are you? Good, Neil, mate. Blaine? Yeah, oh, I, knew, I knew we were going to go at the same time then. I was trying to put myself off there, but uh, yeah, it has been a while. It has been a while, probably too long between drinks. All of our, uh, our lives have kind of got in the way, but it's a... Uh, yeah, good under the circumstances, still in lockdown. We've just had a bit of good news, obviously, with Mark McGowan saying we can go back and play football, but we can't go out and watch football. So what do you make of that? Uh, well, as somebody who plans to play football, that's not too bad. But um, I think we're, given that most of the, the venues around the state are public parks, I'm not really sure what you can do about the average dog walker out and about checking out a bit of football from the corner of their eye. So it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And um, I think, yeah, over the next week, hopefully things will ease off a bit more and we don't have any more disruptions to the season because that's the, that's the last thing we need after having a, a very, very disruptive, tw- disruptive 2020. Um, how about you, Donna? I just, um, yeah, can't wait to get out of lockdown because I'm sick of my three-year-old asking me when he can go and play on the playground. So I'm very happy. I'm fine with anything that happens. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, let's chat some football then while we're here. We've just wrapped up the A-League season. Melbourne City took out the toilet seat with a win over Sydney FC in the grand final, and that sealed the double for them. And uh, they were the best team over the course of, of the last last campaign. Uh out on top in the regular season and I think that yeah the the team that they put together the squad they put together is something that they set themselves up for success not just this year but also for the uh, the coming seasons as well by locking away some key players and adding one or two more and they're very very quickly becoming the benchmark club in the A-League. Blaine what are your thoughts on City's rise to the top and also the possibility of continued dominance? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, most of us expected it and we're going to go through and have a bit of a look back at how we tipped this season and our predictions and everything. But uh, I think all three of us predicted that City would be there or thereabouts. And uh, yeah, they've uh, they've gone on with it and they've done, they did pretty well considering they didn't even have their top goal scorer, Jamie McLaren, 25 goals throughout the season in that finals. And they still seem to do it with with relative ease so um, or thereabouts. So yeah, no, they're uh, they're a good side, and uh, I wonder how Donna's feeling about uh, victory being the little brother these days. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember this season at all. I think I've forgotten it uh, midway through. Um, look, I have no issue in seeing someone other than Sydney FC win it, to be honest. I was asked a lot of questions um, over the weekend who, as a neutral who I would like to win, and definitely not Sydney FC. So I'm kind of happy that Melbourne City won it, obviously, um, we had a horrible season, but they deserved it at the end, and I think I tipped them to be the to the, be the winners as well. So yeah, yeah. I think from a personal perspective, as you said, Donna, it's nice to see a different um, face at the top. But 
I'm just glad that the team who won the regular season also took out the grand final because there's still too much emphasis put on that for me. And, you know, being the best team over 26 games is more of a testament to what City have done than a, than a once-off in the final. But they, they did, Blaine, as you mentioned, do it without the Socceroos stars. And is that still a bit of an issue that we've got in the A-League that, you know, the lack of respect for the final series the final series is meant to be the culmination of the season it's when most eyeballs are on the game because they the games because they're decided on the spot rather than you know you don't get a, a second chance for the most part and yet we couldn't delay it for a couple of weeks while some of the best players um in 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 the in the competition are unavailable to international duty does that need to change yeah, I, I think it was just one of those scenarios that because of all the lockdowns and we did have a few delays and, uh, you know, all the, all the disruptions that happened throughout the season, I think that's just the way it kind of panned out because I don't believe it was planned like that originally. And if it was, um, it's an absolute kind of um, a bit of a blight on the APL who were warned about these this block of international fixtures and and they promised that they were going to, going to get the league and the finals done by the time that these internationals came about. So, um, yeah, that's the story that, that, that I've heard through through that way. So, yeah, I'm not too sure. It was one of those things, and uh, I'm sure some questions have been asked either way. Donna, any thoughts from you? I, um, I understand what Blaine's saying. Obviously, it's been a very disruptive season um, all around, but I, do, I don't believe that, you know, if we had just postponed it a week and a half or two weeks would have made much of a difference. Um, I felt really, I felt really gutted for Jamie because as you said, he had such a great season and I I feel like he really deserved to be out there. And obviously Sydney were missing a few as well. Uh, I'm not sure whether it would have made a huge difference or not. Obviously um, I felt he dominated most of the game anyway, but uh, it would have been good to have them back. Uh, We seem to have this discussion, I think every season, uh, whether the, finals is respected enough and what we're going to do about international breaks and when the soccer is playing and whatnot and you know it's something that really needs to be considered and I think things will change now that the clubs have a bit more um, leverage in terms of them controlling everything themselves. Right, we'll just move a little bit further down the table into the third spot and the Central Coast Mariners were a team that bounced back with a vengeance under Alan Stagish this year a really really good campaign People got a little bit of giddy with themselves and said they might actually take out some uh, take out a trophy, but that didn't materialise. Having said that, they put together a very functional squad, some really good young players, and a, and a, and a really positive spirit around the club as a whole. And we're fully deserving of getting a home final. Obviously, that didn't go to plan against MacArthur, but they can be proud of what they achieved. The caveat to all that, Blaine, is that it's all become quite unravelled in the in the weeks uh, since their their finals exit. What do you make of everything that's gone down on the Central Coast? Yeah, it's a it's a hell of a shame, isn't it, for for your rusted on Central Coast fans who. Uh, even if you, you did fall that bit short, uh, they definitely showed that they are a, a club and a, and a side that do deserve to be in this league and they can be competitive w- with your big guys. So, you know, finishing third in the league and possibly could have had a bit more of a shout at, at doing something in that in that final series. Uh, even towards the end, they were still getting some of the biggest crowds in the league. So, I mean, there is the passion there for Central Coast football. There is the fat passion there for for the club. 
But the fallout since has been very, very disappointing. Um, there's talk about the owners not putting anything in. There's talk about uh, Stagic uh, going now. Uh, just today, Nick Montgomery, Nick Montgomery has I'll put my teeth back in, has taken over as the uh, head coach. But still no real, um, I guess, uh, solid concrete um, uh, evidence that they really want to do. Uh, they really want to push on with uh, what they've achieved this season. Donna, I think that we've a lot of the time seen the Mariners as a bit of a feeder club in the play. They bring through some good young players, and the, those players go on to to bigger bigger clubs and, and successful careers. But they managed to piece something together here with a real kind of a, a bit of a ramshackle makeup of a team. You had a, you had a South American forward. You had Matt Simon still throwing elbows right, left, and centre. A really good goalkeeper, a rejuvenated Ruin Tongue at the back, and as mentioned already, some really good players buzzing around the middle of the park. It, it's credit to the coaching to uh, to get all those pieces and put them together into such a functional team. And I think, do you, do you believe that they're going in the right direction now? As Blaine mentioned, they've appointed a new head coach today. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be much backlash with um, Nick being appointed as a new head coach. They seem to be, uh, from what I've read from most of the supporters, they're quite happy with that. Um, I think he's done very well uh, within the academy side of things, Nick. So I think it's a step in the right direction. But it's it's the same old question that we have every year about Central Coast. And you see it along the feeds on Twitter and whatnot. Their owner, their sole owner, is obviously doesn't have enough passion for the club and seems to be an ongoing cycle. I think, um, you think that's quite successful for them, uh, considering uh, most of their last, past few seasons that they've had at Central Coast. But uh, it's a step in the right direction. I think they just need to focus more. I don't think it has to do anything with the coaching or the players. I think it, at the end of the day, it stems from the top and the top is the owner. And from what I see and from what I hear, I mean, I'm not very heavily involved at Central Coast, from what I see, they need a change and he needs to get out, basically. Um, and that's the message that's been sent across from all supporters, you re- I don't think you'll hear anyone say otherwise. So it'll be very interesting to see how they go this season, uh, this season. They lost Clisby as well. Um, he's returned home. So it'll be very interesting. I think they've started, he, Charles would have started to go a little bit full, Mike Ashley, um, uh, at the Central Coast with chopping and changing managers, not putting money into the club and getting mm. fans offside. So that's never a good route to go down. And yeah, uh, it's, it doesn't it doesn't bode well uh, for their long-term sustainability if this is just going to be something that keeps happening, that they have a small supporter base as it is and to keep alienating them with decisions made year on year, it's going to reach a tipping point sooner rather than later. We'll keep going down. The fourth spot, Brisbane Roar, fifth Adelaide United, sixth, the new boys, MacArthur, seventh, Wellington Phoenix, eighth, Western Sydney Wanderers. Anything that stood out there for you, Blaine, in those uh, those few teams? Oh, probably just, uh, yeah, you probably just have to tip your lid to MacArthur for a, a decent uh, opening campaign for their first one. Um, we know they get a few concessions and the like, and they had a pretty strong side. Some might even say with the side they had, they probably could have gone on and done a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, not bad. A few teething issues off the field. They're still not really sure. We're still not really sure. Uh, you know, from an outsider, um, who they are and what they actually represent or anything like that. But uh, they'll hopefully find a bit more of an identity as time goes on. Uh, yeah, so not not too bad. But the rest of them were pretty stock standard. Brisbane probably surprised us a little bit. I didn't expect them to be finishing up that high. Um, but the rest you could have thrown up, yeah, put them into a, uh, a bit of a mixer and they could have just seen how they came out. Donna? No, I agree. 
with everything you just said, I think Brisbane was my biggest shock. I don't think I tipped them to finish in the top six um, but, and obviously Central Coast. But, yeah, I think everyone else, um, yeah, I rated, I thought MacArthur were going to do semi-okay and they seem to get into finals. I think next season will be a big test for them. I think it's uh, the first season's always, uh, uh, you know, a practice run for them to see how they're going to go and then um, hopefully they build from something. A couple of things for me just in, the, in those two teams. I think credit to the work of Phoenix for uh, what they went through for most of the season, mm-hmm. basing themselves in Wollongong and not being able to play in front of their home fans until the very end of the campaign. Uh, they, they've been a team that's divided opinion in terms of whether they should or shouldn't remain in the competition, but they showed their value this year and, for me, produced the, the competition's best players in Ulysses de Villa. So he's obviously left now and will go to to uh, to MacArthur for, for next season. But I think overall they deserve a lot of credit for what they did and I would hope that they get rewarded with a little bit more respect um, across the board from from next campaign. They've, uh, they've, they've been a very very willing club to bend over backwards just to get games played and uh, and they just missed out on the finals so um, a credible season given the circumstances Western Sydney Wanderers for me underperformed Kyle Robinson is uh, seems to be going through his little black book of UK contacts to bring players in and out the whole time and I, I don't know how sustainable that is um, long term the fans seem to be getting a little bit annoyed about his selections and the fact that they're very top heavy and keep bringing in attacking players while being suspect at the back. So yeah, there's a lot of work to do with Western Sydney Wanderers as they um, as they rebuild for next season and try to get back into finals. We'll skip over Perkor just for now and finish off the rest of the ladder. Western United for me were a massive disappointment. I expected them to do a little bit better than tenth. Um, Newcastle Jets. Not a surprise. We're roundly tipped to be there, thereabouts for the for the spoon, and only avoided it by two points. And then, I mean, look, we, we expected Melbourne victory to be average. We didn't expect them to be terrible. And uh, I think their recruitment left a lot to be desired. But Rudy just dead leading the way in that regard. An absolute flop of a striker. Uh, didn't look interested. Couldn't be bothered. And the same could go for Ryan Shotton. And he was uh, he was he was nicely shipped off before the season even ended. Donna, we'll get your thoughts on victory in a second because there's a new coach coming in there but Blaine this is this is unacceptable for what who, for, who has long long been touted as the biggest club in Australia and yes they may still be that way in terms of the amount of members that they've got but on the park wooden spooners and miles off the pace compared to their uh, their city rivals Melbourne City I think this was a culmination. I think Donna would agree with me of um, a, a few years now of mismanagement at the at the victory. There's been a lot said about what's been happening behind the scenes. A lot of um, unhappy board members, a lot of unhappy, you know, paid up season ticket holders. Uh, um, problems with their academy. They're not bringing through the right people. They don't have the right people at the academy to bring the right players through. I think it just all culminated with that. And then you bring in someone like uh, Grant Brebner. I just think the bloke's too too nice. Uh, I don't think he's ever said a bad word about anyone. And sometimes the players do need that kick up the backside and a bit of the, the, the you know, the hairspray treatment to uh, to try and get him up and about. I don't think he was the, the man to do it. And uh, I think the Melbourne Victory fans would be, they certainly were de- demanding more throughout the season and they never got it. Yeah, uh, I think 
look, you're right with the mismanagement. We've been looking at Melbourne victory decline for the last few years, and this is this is the rock bottom for them. Uh, first time that they finished last, and you know it's it's a shame that we're not in a relegation system because there would actually be some real con- consequences. And you could have a story, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the country. Um, being relegated to the second tier like uh, you know that would be a hell of a story and it would be a proper wake up call for everyone at the club as it is Donna do you think that they've uh, looked at, seen the error of their ways and things are going to improve now with um, with the, the with the, the name with he who shall not be mentioned taking over as the new coach <laughs> it's um, yeah I 100% agree with Blaine it was I think uh, Bremner was made as a scapegoat this season. Obviously, all the plays that they brought in. If you looked at them and looked at their stats and whatnot, and watched them, you know they were they were semi decent players, and I did not expect them to finish last. Um, Popper, the name of on everyone's tongue. Um, look, let's face it; he's highly regarded. I was begging and praying that he was going to come over. Obviously, it was one of the worst kept secrets. We all, a lot of people were talking about it. It was the first name thrown into it uh, before even Brebner stepped down or got let go, um, however you want to say it. Uh, I'm very happy with that appointment. Um, I know um, a lot of Perth Glory supporters and fans have a bit of a sour taste in their mouth about uh, Papa leaving. Look, I have no issue in um, him coming over. I know the age-old question is, his son's going to play? Uh, I know that's the funny question that everyone keeps throwing out. Look, I don't care what he does, who he plays or how he plays them. I just want – we need to improve and uh, we cannot be finishing not mid-table, not at the bottom of the table. We need a top-four finish next uh, next season and that's the only thing that's going to be acceptable. And if we don't, then it's not an acceptable season in my, um, in my opinion, especially with someone like Popper in charge. Okay, let's get into it. We'll move to Perth Glory. Uh, they were, I don't think any of us expected them to to, um, to tear up trees and be challenging for silverware this year from the outset, first year under Richard Garcia. A tough off-season with having to travel for the ACL and also looking at the playing group. However, based on our predictions, we didn't expect them to be this bad. And to finish ninth is disappointing. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a failure of a season to not make finals when 50% of the competition get in there. So where do we start playing? Whoa. Start at the beginning? Do we look at the the positives, the negatives? Go for it. Yeah, I oh, I mean, I think it, 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 it was a bit of a to put it this way, a clusterfuck of a season. It was a clusterfuck to begin with, and it was a clusterfuck to, to the end, really, um, with off the field. Um, you know, lockdown, two lots of quarantine, everything that, you know, could have gone wrong in that regard and logistically almost did. But it started when Olovic um, pretty much dropped it dropped it on its head and dropped the squad on its head. Um, that, was, that was the beginning, and I think it's just going to take a little bit of time to rebuild that. Um, half the squad was was decimated. All these new players coming in, those half of those players haven't worked. Um, I'm sure we're going to go through a, a bit more of where, where the players are at at the moment. But yeah, I I just I think that we failed to recover from a from a poor start. To be perfectly honest, and uh, yeah, I think it's just going to take Richard Garcia and Steve McGarry and those guys just a little bit of time to to get their feet under the desk and to uh, try and build something that they want to they want to build and, and do it uh, do it in their own style. Yeah, they've uh, they've had the the honeymoon period, and I think a bit of leeway will be given for the reasons that you mentioned. But now we're getting into the the stage where it it was an underwhelming season. It was nine wins, 
seven draws and ten losses. They finished the season strongly, but that was in in large part thanks to having such a good consecutive run of home games. Goals for 44, goals against 44. So pretty even across the board, 34 points from 26 games. Donna, what players do you think can, can hold their head up high with their efforts and performances over the course of the 26-game season? You know, I was very impressed with some of the young ones, um, especially uh, Timmons, I thought was fantastic. And Otter was probably one of my big standouts uh, throughout it. Uh, Daryl as well. Uh, how do you want to say it like? The Lachman, Lachman, however you want to say it, yep. I think he was unbelievable. Um, I believe that uh, you know, he should have won a couple of awards at the MGP, and I think you guys share that sentiment as well. Um, but I think he would stand out, and obviously you can't go past uh, Fawn Rowley as well. My biggest one was, um, I think, most, uh, I don't know, most consistent, I believe, uh, would have been Kilkenny. Uh, I, don't know what's, I don't know what's happening at the moment, obviously. Um, He's nowhere, um, but he's still in Perth because he's going to be running a training clinic with um, Liam Reddy and Mark Lee here in Perth. So he hasn't left uh, just yet. But I think, um, you know, there was a few standouts. But, yeah, as you said, it was very underwhelming. And I think it's just going to give Richard and Steve a bit of time to um, get their heads together and see what they can do at the FA Cup. And rumour is that they're going to be playing a bunch of youth players um, at the FA Cup, which is uh, Popper coming back here against Melbourne Victory. So it'll be very interesting to see um, who that killed for that match. But that will be a big test for them, I think. Yeah, it will be. And there was talk of that potentially taking place right at the end of the season, but that didn't materialise. So we've a, uh, we've a game to look forward to in a few weeks' time, pretty much. So that will be good. Um, but yes, there's been a high turnover of players already. We've seen a lot of names released and they'll move on to new pastures and also some signings and re-signings. Blaine, we're looking at what happened during the course of the season. What areas for you needed addressing and do you think that they've done so with what's with the business taking place so far? Um, yes, somewhat, somewhat. It took... It was the defence that, that seemed to bother us the most throughout the season. I mean, 44 goals is nothing to sneeze at, but when you concede in 44, that's where the issue starts to come in. Um, for me, uh, the, we just never had a real stable back four. That was the, that was the primary issue, or back three even, for, for that later uh, later period of the season. So that was where it came in. Uh, we did start to shore up a little bit when we got guys like Jason Guerrier, who's, of course, not sticking around. Um, Latchman can do a job, but it took him a little while to get going. I thought Aspro was... Uh, Jonathan Aspro was pretty good uh, in, in patches. Um, probably just needs a little bit more consistency. Um, we seem to lose a little bit in that defensive midfield stock, particularly once Kil- uh, Neil Kilkenny came. Um, but that was a double-edged sword too, I thought. I thought they were too reliant on Kilkenny at times. But then when they didn't have him, they seemed to um, trip up a little bit as well. So... Um, keeping Ota, I think that's a good uh, a good thing. Um, yeah, it's you probably just want a real out and out centre back, and that's where Sebastian Langkamp was supposed to be used. And yeah, we never saw him really. So yeah, a little bit to, a little bit to think about there uh, going forward to next season in terms of the back four. 
We'll just run through the uh, the players released just in full uh, so far what we know. Neil Kilkenny, obviously, yeah, that, that went very south towards the end of the season. A very disappointing way for uh, a player who was such a to go out, who was such a key contributor to the to the title winning squad and a fantastic ball playing midfielder and it'll be tough to replace in that regard. Nick D'Agostino uh, ended the contract, he's moved on um, probably didn't get as much game time as a lot of people would have liked to have seen, he's, uh, he's heading to the Olympics with the Oli Roos in a few weeks Tando Valafi uh, probably be resigned for a 59th time in October, but he's uh, he's parted ways for now. Jason Garia, we expected that to be uh, just a stopgap for him as he heads back, likely to be over east. Sebastian Langkamp um, spent more time in hotel quarantine than he did on the pitch, so he is is gone. Uh, mutual termination. Brandon Wilson talk of him heading to the UK somewhere. Nick Sullivan didn't really do anything in his time here. Dane Ingham, for me, was a massive disappointment. And yeah, he is already signed for the Newcastle Jets. And Riley Warland, uh, again, a youngster who promised quite a lot, but just didn't get a lot of opportunities. And I know he came back from the UK a couple of years ago. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes next, possibly to the MPL. He's, he's still only, he only turns 19 in a few days' time. So plenty of time left for him. Uh, coming in so far, we've had Jack Disby uh, returning on a two year deal from the Central Coast Mariners, Aaron Calver. Uh, he's another two-year deal and the big one um, yesterday is Brandon O'Neill and he will sign for three years and be that Neil Kilkenny replacement I think it's probably fair to say in the middle of the field and be, mm. be quite influential uh, as, a, as a squad member as well so a good age someone who knows the Perth landscape very very well and uh, well a lot of people will say you should never have been let go in the first place but that's a, a, another day's work uh, we have um, we have Keske Otto as well is, is re-signed for next year and that joins Jonathan Astropodomides he's got a new contract as well we've got Bruno Fornaroli Liam Reddy Luke Bodner Callum Timmons Daniel Steins and Carlo Armiento so that's everybody who has either been signed or given a contract extension and um, some people already have contracts for next year so to keep a going. Andy Kyo, Osama Malik will be there. Joe Kinesi is technically still in on loan. Um, Daryl Latchman still here for another year and then a few youngsters as well. So the two we don't know about, and I'll get your thoughts, Blaine, are Chris Economides and Diego Castro. And it's Diego Castro's birthday. Uh, all the all the mm. happy returns and sent out some today, but no news on what the future holds for him. I assumed that this was going to be his last year and that he'd head back to Spain. But again, nothing is being confirmed, and it's now a bit of a debate as to whether they should give him a new contract or not. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, my, my priority in the here and now is Chris Economides. I mean, uh, we know that he's going to probably go to Europe at some stage. We've just stood by him through a 14-month injury. Um, there's talk about Melbourne Victory looking at him. But, yeah, if I'm Tony Sage, I'm, I'm giving him a new one of a new iron ore mines to keep him here as long as possible. Um, yeah, I think he's super important to the side, and we saw just how quickly he can turn a game, and, and his confidence and his demeanour can turn around the whole team and, and get the whole team buzzing and, in turn, getting the stadium buzzing. So, uh, yeah, I've got nothing but uh, good things to say about Chris Economides. Uh, Diego Castro is an interesting one. Um, we, we know that he started to slow down. It, it, for me, it depends in what capacity 
and I guess what kind of money he's asking to stick around. Um, we know that he can still do a job in the A-League, um, but uh, I'm not sure about him holding up a spot and, and such a, um, a prolific spot in that kind of that centre attacking midfield um, at the expense of someone who could get that development is going to uh, really kind of make use of it. Um, that's where I'm kind of 50-50. Um, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. Donna, any thoughts from you? Oh, I'd be very happy if Victory took on uh, Economides, no doubt. Um, but I didn't ask that. In terms of Diego Castro, um, you know, I find that depending on his season, he always starts a bit slow. And obviously, yeah, but then when he's in it, he's in it. And, you know, he's a magician with speed. It's such an amazing to watch every time you watch him. But uh, you have to agree with Blaine. You would think that he's uh, coming to the slower end of his um, career. Maybe he could be a bench player, no doubt, come on for the last 20 minutes, um, should you need him. But you, you think that he'd be demanding a bit of a wage. So, you know, it depends on what sort of capacity, maybe some sort of coaching role in a couple of years' time, who knows. But I'm sure there's... Um, there would be heavy talks about him saying, I know he loves staying here. He mentioned it uh, quite a bit at the um, MGP, how much his family love it here in Australia and how much they love it in Perth. So uh, I think Ronaldo also staying um, in the big ups as well. So if people, you know, having Castro here, is, uh, that could be a positive too. From a personal perspective, yeah, look, Chris Conomid is no brainer, but I don't think he will stay. I think he's at an age now where it's, um, it's now or never for getting a, a decent run in Europe and possibly going to a, a relatively big league. Um, he's come back from his injury, he's proven his form, and Dory got a few good years out of him. So I would be surprised if he does re-sign. Um, no, again, no announcement, so we don't know. With Castro, um, I, I think until you get somebody in who's better than him he stays and the 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 talk about you know give give a youngster a go give a guy from the MPL a crack they're not even a patch on Castro's ability even at mm. 39 years of age it, it's not even a contest he's still an unbelievable footballer with a with the vision the brain everything else and is he really any slower than he was say two years ago for me not significantly enough to just cast him by the wayside he's still got a lot to offer to the to the team um even as a even in a mentor role it's, it's all well and good saying you know give the kids a chance but they need people to learn from and having those experienced guys around is is huge and what better player to learn from then Diego Castro with all his experience in La Liga and beyond. Personally, as long as he wants to stay uh, playing football, I would I would keep giving him rolling one-year contracts because he still contributes enough to justify a place in the squad. Um, so that's that's just my personal opinion. I, I would much rather, if you, if you want to win games and you're looking to, uh, to make finals and everything else, give me Castro over any possible uh, player out of the MPL because I just don't, I think there's too big a gulf in class between what this guy can offer and uh, and those young just kids on, at this time. Yeah. Just on Economides, I mean, I think that if he does, if oh, there's a bit of talk about him going to victory, I think no matter where he goes, if he goes anywhere in the A-League, he will have that kind of uh, Europe kind of get-out clause if, if they do come running. So um, I, I'm not sure it's a, it's a good bit of business for, for, for Victory to actually go after him. I think if he's going to stay, he should stay in Perth or, or go straight to Europe. But that might just be, uh, you know, my you know, oh, yeah. purple glasses talking. <laughs> wow. I, couldn't keep, I couldn't keep a straight face. It has changed. <laughs> I think Europe will be knocking, but... Um, 
he's he's a class player. Uh, any club will be lucky to have him. Like Neil said, he is young and he's he's probably ready to go to that next stage. But at the moment, I'm not sure many people want to leave Australia. Um, but it will be very interesting to see where he ends up. I think he gets out of quarantine in the next couple of days. I don't know whether he's actually in Perth or uh, over lease, but I believe he'll be out of quarantine soon. So it should be interesting to see what's going to happen. You would think that a decision will be made in the next couple of weeks um, for Chris, considering the FA Cup is starting um, in August. All right. Well, that, that, those two remain to be seen, but I think um, I think supporters would be would be okay if if both resigned for another year and you had the the two of them as part of the squad because they do have plenty of young players in in the in the team as it is, and we've been. We've been privileged, I guess, to see so many opportunities being given to, to local guys, and people will say that you know this should have been happened a lot sooner. The likes of Callum Timmons, um, it, it was his second crack at at, at uh, making it at the um, at the first team, and you know you've you've brought in someone like Carlo Armiento who contributed quite a lot in his time. Um, Josh Rawlins, plenty of chances. Daniel Steins, these guys were. You know they they played a lot of football this year and um, and hopefully that continues. But for me, you just need that that experience to balance it out. And look, if if Glory turned around and said we've got a uh, if we have we have a thirty two year old version of Diego Castro coming in, then I'd be fine with them moving him on. But if it's not a player in the same mold in with the same experience, the same background, I'll be quite happy for him to, to resign and stick around. But we'll see how that goes. There's a few questions around the squad. Uh, they've come in uh, from Facebook. So I'll ask straight up. First question, we've got a shortage of fullbacks. Comes in from Chris Martin, not the dude from Coldplay, I assume. Uh, who are we bringing in to replace Gary and Ingham? on fullback. What are your thoughts? Where are we going to look? Clisby, I suppose, is one who will come in on the yeah. left-hand side. but uh, And Otta is obviously sticking around. So I think that's the, the left wing-back slash left-sided centre-back position sorted with those two guys. But what about the other side? Yeah, I mean, Josh Rollins uh, played a bit of a role there. I think he got called out a couple of times, but he's, he's still young and still learning. So there's an option there. Um, I'm trying to think who else we've got. A little bit of a call to see if we can get Josh Risden back, but I'm not sure about Josh. I think he's a little bit uh, having too many uh, injury concerns at the moment. So, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, it'll be back to the class of, what is it, 2000 and 2010 with uh, O'Neill and uh, Clisby and uh, Rizzo back on the park. Um, I'm not sure about who else we got on that right side. Who can play there? Yeah, it is a position that's up for grabs. And I think, you know, Gary was, was a great pickup for me. I thought he was really, really good. And I would have liked to have seen him stick around. It wasn't realistic, uh, unfortunately, to keep him. But I think that's definitely a, a position that they could look to recruit for. Um, possibly a, a right-sided centre-back slash right-back that they can play in if you're playing a three. Um, Wing-back, if you're playing a three-five-two, I mean, Joel, or a three-four-three. Joel Kinesi has played in that wing-back role quite well. Uh, he played there under Popovich, so you know he might be able to fill that again. Um, I, uh, we've, we've been quite lucky on in the recent past with full-back slash wing-backs. You think about having Franjic, and you had Meredith, and you had Jason Davidson. So they've done quite well. And for me, Otto is is in that bracket as well. But the right-hand side was definitely problematic. They tried Nick Sullivan at right-back in the early days, didn't work. Um, as I mentioned before. Uh, I, I wasn't uh, impressed whatsoever by Dane Ingham. He was he was 
caught very easily on the defensive side of the ball. And and Gary came in and was brilliant and would have been the perfect solution given his age, given his background, his experience, all of that. So somebody in that mould would be ideal. But yeah, they've got visa spots to use, so maybe they could um, they could pick up somebody uh, for that position. So we will we will wait and see. Or was it that Gary was not offered and was it his choice to leave? Is that the story or? Well, the talk was that he was he was getting himself fit and then would explore his options after that. And you know, it depend. I guess we'll find out a little bit more depending on where um, where he is going to end up. Uh, if he ends up at Melbourne Victory, you know, and with him on one side and uh, Jason Gary or Jason Gary on one side and Jason Davidson on the other side, um, that'll be victory pretty set. So, given that victory have released the Dama Traore, and the talk is that Davidson is heading there, uh, it'd be a pretty good combination for them to have as well. So, um, Storm. Is a is a is a he's another one getting in terms of getting the band back together. Uh, he's been mm. a glory, glory before, and he's um, I believe still a free agent at the moment. So whether he'd want to come back this direction, I'm not too sure. But he's somebody with plenty of A League experience. Uh, wouldn't take a visa spot, all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, Storm Rue might be one to keep an eye on as well uh, over the next few weeks. Talk about Walt, guess. Talk about Walter Scott looking for a club too, but he's a left sider, isn't he? He is a left sider. Yeah. So I think mm. they're pretty set. It depends where Clisby slots in if he's going to play as a centre-back then you know they might they might look but yeah given the the restrictions on how many people he can have in the squad and all of that I'm not sure if they'd go with three left back left wing backs that that sort of thing so um, the right side is definitely one up for debate though and it, it depends on if, if you know you never know what happens with Josh Rowland some some European club could come looking for him given his age and his ability and his potential so um, yeah they, they could have a gap to fill there alright the next question we've got is why do you think Garcia did not see D'Agostino as part of his plans um, that's come in from Alexander Ferguson so the D'Agostino situation yes Sir Alex himself uh, um, mate I, I um, see this the exact same way that what I saw um, McLaren at Perth um, I just think there was too much of a, a bigger name ahead of him and I don't think he was ever given much of a chance a chance either of them and which it really um, it was really confusing because I don't think that Andy Keogh um, deserved his spot every single week I thought he had a quite a poor season and didn't score in 16 games you're a, you're an out and out striker you need to be scoring um, and yeah if, you, if you're not scoring in that position you need to be dropped and Diagostino would have been the perfect replacement for him so it's a bit of a head scratcher for me and I don't get it and it's a it's another real talent that we've let go by the wayside yeah, uh, he had a lot of potential and scored some some really important goals for Glory. And yeah, yeah I, I guess he is a victim of the fact that somebody was always going to miss out when you're carrying so many um, quality attacking options. You know, Glory had quite a lot at their disposal, and it was a bit of a rotation system. He also had a few injuries in his time. Donna, I'm sure you'd be delighted if he turned up at Melbourne Victory, though. Yeah, and just on that. Uh, um there was heaps of talk about um, Nick at the MGP and I spoke to Richie and I, I was talking to McGarry as well about Nick and uh, he wants to weigh up his options after the Olympics uh, pending, and this was pending that he'd p- been picked at this time and obviously now he has to play over there. Um, so he's weighing up his options. You know, I don't think he's ruled out um, coming back here, but I think, he wants somewhere in Asia and I think he's quite young and he's can have that opportunity at the moment while he is young, but 
I 100% agree. He, I thought he was great when he was on the ball. I really liked watching him. And, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't say no to having him at victory. But, again, what are we going to do? Just keep picking all the first glory players and taking them to the club. Um, so let's try not do that. But, I, yeah, I think he's got heaps of potential. And I think he should try it out overseas before he does land another A-League contract. Yeah, I, w- I would expect that he is looking for an overseas opportunity first and foremost, yep. and then he'll um, he'll weigh up any other offers after that. The big question: This has come in um, from Lyle Speckendorf. See how you go with this one. Do you think Glory can win a title in the next three seasons with Garcia as head coach? Blank. I, 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 yeah, I certainly do. I, I, I think that I think that people have been a bit harsh on Garcia this year. If I'm, if I'm purely honest, um, there was that rotation policy in a difficult year. We know that he had that, uh, had that thought. But um, I, I think it, it purely comes down to what kind of uh, cattle he can recruit. Um, I think that's where we're at at the moment. We know that Perth has a tough, uh, tough spot um, recruiting people. Uh, you know, players out here for whatever reason. If that's the if that's the case of the matter, then we need to start developing our own. Which is that that's what we've done, and we've produced a, a couple of uh, neat little players like uh, you know Timmons and Steins and guys that have really stepped up. So if these guys are given a chance, it, it proves that they are Perth boys. They do want to play for the play for the shirt, and there's there's no reason why they can't go on to big things and and take out the A League. Donna, I'm going to plead the fifth on this one. I have no opinion on it at all. <laughs> Well then, all right. Uh, well, the question is, do you, do you think Glory can win a title in the next three seasons with Garcia as head coach? I don't want to get myself into any trouble, right? No, and we can- I'm, I'm happy to take it for you. I'll, uh, I'll answer the, I'll answer the question for you. Go spawn. So I, I would, I would um, leave the Garcia part out of it and say, do I think Glory can win a title in the next three seasons? Um, the answer to me is no, no, because... I don't think uh, anybody is going to catch City for the next three seasons. So irrespective of who Glory's head coach is and who they bring in, uh, I don't think not only are they not winning a title, I don't actually really think anybody's going to win a title. Um, I think that, that what City are doing behind the scenes and with the with their academy and their training base and all of that is just going to attract more players. They've just signed Matt Leckie. They've re-signed Jamison and McLaren. They've got such a, a really good squad as it is and a good, really good coach. Um, so irrespective of the Garcia conundrum and, and Glory's, uh, Glory's attempts to get back to the top, I just don't think anybody's going to catch City. So um, what's the scene? for Garcia maybe is a is a fairer question in, in terms of where we think he can go I think finals yes they can absolutely get finals can they get a home final which is top four yes do I think they can make a grand final I, with the current squad I would say no a lot will depend on the um, the visa players that they, they bring in and whether we keep Castro Economides because it's all well and good losing these guys but you have to replace them with players of similar quality and that to me will go a long way to dictating uh, what happens with Glory I know it's only two players but those guys are just so good and they have been so good over the past three years that if you're going to go challenge for the top you need to either have similar quality or better and um, I think that's what we've got to it, recruitment will go a long way to saying to seeing where glory finished because part of the reason they flopped this year was because the the recruits didn't work out as as well as hoped you know and I think that's um something to to be mindful of I mean look it's unfortunate Sebastian Langkamp got injured and and missed a lot of games but he also would have missed a lot of the season anyway, but by the time he got here, you know, we've had this in the past where players get here too late and glory end up playing catch up for, 
for half a season and then they limp into the finals rather than actually challenging towards the top. This is something we've mentioned with Castro before coming back late and Donny, you referred to that earlier. So I think that they need, they, they've, they've done okay in terms of getting some of their business done already. Um, but I would really like to see those big name players either re-signed or let go and suitable, adequate replacements brought in before we can confirm where they're going to go. So uh, and else you want to add on, on that question around the what we can win? I was just going to say, that's why you're the football writer and we're just the lackeys, deal. You've done that very, very well. <laughs> oh, I've thought about it. I've thought about it. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about it the last while, just just with the uh, the ins and outs over the past um, the past week or so. And it, it, it's a next three three seasons in the A League is like forever. <laughs> you know, mm. players can have six clubs in three seasons in the A League. So we're um, <laughs> it's a long way away. But uh, but yeah, I, obviously I would love for them to be up there challenging and to, to win something and, and get that win that grand final. But it's going to be a tough one with what City are doing at the moment. Um, cool. So anything else you want to add on, Glory, before we, we head off? Blaine, just actually, oh, actually a quick one on the, um, mm. the, the, the supporters. So obviously it was a bit difficult this year with restricted numbers and not being able to attend games and Sometimes we could go and sometimes we had to wear masks and whatever else it may be. But what, what's the mood like? And uh, is there optimism for next season? Will numbers be good membership-wise? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not too sure, mate. It's, it's one of those things that um, you'll get your diehards go, rain, hail or shine. We know that. But you need that other kind of add-on of the people that'll go every so often and the people that go kind of, you know, very seldomly that you, you need to really kind of drag people in. And, I mean, we did have a... Across the league, we had a poor year with crowds for whatever reason, but so of every other sport. I, I think we're just in a predicament in, in society um, rather than just the A-League or just Perth Glory. I think we're... There's every... I think every coach is struggling in some way. Every club is struggling some way. Um, yeah. Um, there were some good days out. Even there's days where we had those smaller crowds, no shedder. It was a little bit like having a beer with your mates and watching a bit of park football. It was fine. It was, yeah, I had a good time. So um, a little bit difficult to organise, I think, uh, from the guys that wanted to organise pubs and organise a bit of a, a bit of a pre-game and a, a bit of a get-together was difficult every so often. Then we had those, uh, those mid-weekers, which were difficult. But... Uh, I'm going to use that saying, and I've been hearing it so much of it. It is what it is, and I think, uh, yeah, people have just been trying to get on with it the best they can. All right, let's uh, let's change uh, tack slightly, and we'll just have a, a, a little discussion around the W League. I don't really want to dwell too much on the season that was because it was pretty awful. Um, Glory didn't win a game, drew one game, scored seven goals in twelve. It was not not great. Um, and yeah, I mean, they were they they got one point. Sydney FC came out on top in the regular season with twenty eight points. So they were miles off the pace, unfortunately. However, the off season has seen plenty of reason for optimism. They've recruited really well. If you go on, as I have, to just to get a, a nice handy list, go on to the uh, Wikipedia page for transfers and re-signings. I would say seventy five percent of the activity so far involves per glory. So. They brought in some young players. They've re-signed some young players, and, uh, and and people seem to be having a little bit of a buzz about what they're doing and where what direction they're headed in. Um, Blaine, what, what do you make of the setup and the um, the plans for moving forward to try bounce back from what was you know an awful an awful year? 
Yeah, it was. And they'll admit that it was an awful year. It was a very, very tough year. They weren't expecting uh, too much, um, even just on uh, on my radio show, speaking to Alex Aparkas and, and Tony Pinata. Uh, they weren't even sure until about the 11th hour whether they were going to even have a league or, or have a season to, to go. So it was... It was put together very, very last minute. Um, however, I did attend a couple of matches throughout the year, and um, the last match of the season, uh, a few of the fans and a few of the players got together and had a bit of a beer um, just down at the Hyde Park Hotel following a game at Dorian Gardens. Um, and Alex uh, Aparkas was down there, very, very uh, impressive, um, speaking to all the fans. The, the players were there, uh, and he said to us, he said, look, I'm, I'm getting started tomorrow in what I want to build for next year. Let, we're going to write this one off. He goes, it's a good little, um, uh, a good little uh, you know, experience that we've had, as, as poor as it was. Um, but he's he's done exactly what he said that night in the pub, and I think others uh, that are listening to this and the other fans that were there can uh, can vouch for this that they are um, yeah throwing together one hell of a side this year. There's plenty of optimism around it, and so there should be. So yeah, congratulations to what they're trying to build for the upcoming season. Donna, any thoughts on what's been going on in the uh, the W League space? Uh, look, I think um, obviously with you know them not knowing whether they were going to have a team. This season would have caused a lot of um, you know frantic times within the club, within the team itself. So I'm not sure what people expected. Um, you know, speaking, I've spoken to Alex um, a couple of times, and just hearing him speak in general on uh, many interviews and the way he presents himself and how he speaks to the players, I think he's very highly respected. I think um, this season was a complete write-off, and you could tell they were all very disappointed. But with who they've been recruiting. Um, you know, it's been constant W League news uh, coming in uh, with all their recruits. It's fantastic. So I think uh, this season will be a, a huge test for them. I think it's a huge – they'll really build on it. I don't think they'll be um, where they finish this year. I think, you know, they could fight the final next season. All right. We'll leave the, the glory chat there for now. We'll move into just a, a few quick fire topics because uh, we don't want to ramble on for – Weeks on end, there's plenty of material to get through during the off-season. So we'll just start really quickly with the international stuff around the Socceroos. Um, the draw has taken place for the uh, the World Cup qualifiers, the next stage, as we look towards Qatar in 2022. But the Socceroos are in with Japan, Saudi Arabia, China, Oman and Vietnam. A few banana skins there, some very good sides. Top two go through. Do you think Australia will make it? Uh, yeah, I think we will. Um, it, it is going to be difficult. Uh, I guess the, the thing that's up in the air is still, uh, while I haven't seen anything, there'll still talk about whether it's going to be a hub-type system and they just play each other once, whether they play each other twice, whether they can travel and, and do it in an ordinarily, uh, you know, home-and-away type sense. Um, so that's going to come down to a fair bit of it. I think what we've done, though, is I think we've avoided some of these uh, real uh, decent... You talked about banana skins. It was places like Syria and Iraq and uh, those kind of places that we really struggled to win. Uh, struggled to win. So uh, we seem to have avoided uh, those kind of sides. We've also avoided... Uh, did very well in not having to go to places like uh, Jordan, which is another place which we definitely struggle with over in uh, over in West Asia. Uh, a lot of these sides, I don't know too much about it. The old rival in Japan is always an interesting one. But uh, I'm going to have to start doing a little bit of research on some of these other sides. Oman, Saudi Arabia, Vietnam. 
Uh, I know Vietnam's had a tremendous rise uh, to get where they are, but I don't know too much about their players or what they're about. Um, even some of the, the Chinese players I don't know too much about. But uh, I guess on paper, it, uh, it doesn't look too bad. And I, I'm going to use the old line, if we don't deserve to get out of the... If we can't get out of the group, we don't deserve to be there. So, yeah. Cool. Donna, Olympics questions for you. We move forward with the squads that have been announced for both the men's and women's sides. And the women have the WA representation there in Lydia Williams and Sam Kerr. However, the draw has not been kind to either. In Group C for the Oli Roos, the men's, they'll play Argentina, Egypt and Spain. Just wonderful, and the uh, the women will go up against New Zealand, uh, Sweden, and the United States. Do you see one or both progressing from their group? Yeah, that's a tough question. You know, you know with the recorders, the matches that they played recently um, were left to desire, weren't they? Uh, I think they've spent quite a bit of time with each other now, so you know there could be room. Um, in terms of the Oli Roos, I'm really looking forward to watching them play, but it is a group of death that they've drawn. Um, I, you know, Spain, um, that just that just scares me. Um, you have to ask, no, I don't think so in the short answer. I don't think either either squads will progress. Um, the, I think the biggest upset will obviously be the Matildas uh, for me personally in the fact that, you know, um, if you think of like your review before, there was such a big hype about the Matildas, how well they were doing. They were, you know, everyone was talking about them. We kind of forgot the Socceroos were a bit in the back of our minds and the Matildas were our front forward focus. And obviously we're all so happy that it's going to be played in Australia, um, some of the World Cup as well. So everything um, was hyped around the Matildas, but obviously the last few matches that they've played, um, they haven't been that great. I don't know what it comes down to. Um, it could be the coaching, it could have been everything that happened. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see um, how far they can go. All right, well, we'll move on to uh, one more little topic before we wrap up, given we've been talking for quite a while and we don't want to take up too much of your day. An hour is plenty listening to us ramble on about football. But the, the big news really in the off-season so far, or just before the season ended, was around the new television deal, um, where we're headed and what direction we're going in for the next few years. Now, it was confirmed that it's, it's a combination of a five-year contract with Channel 10 and their streaming subsidiary Paramount. It's worth $200 million in cash, and uh, there could be a potential for a further three-year extension afterwards. Um, it's an interesting shift uh, from where, we're, where we've been with Fox for so long, and obviously all the football content is, is, is now going into one place because there's FFA Cup there, there's going to be W League, there's going to be all sorts um, and of international football there as well. So there's going to be uh, free to air. It's, it's, it's a good deal in that perspective. Um, and yeah, I just I think having it all in one place is, uh, is, is quite good. It's available from August 11th, the Paramount stuff. It's $8.99 per month. We have had a question on Facebook about will there be a discount for members. That's been spoken about, but nothing's been clarified. So we're waiting to hear about whether that will be the case and how exactly that gets, um, that gets charged. So, Blaine, your thoughts on uh, the new home for uh, football in Australia? Yeah, I've been. I was a bit sceptical going into it, but I've I've since been um, yeah impressed. And 
there was a few little worries about it, and one of the worries is still there um, in the fact that the to get your football fix for football fans, whether it's casual or you follow a team, it's very, very fragmented now. We know that you've got you know Champions League on one, you've got the Socceroos and the A-League on one, you've got this and that. You can go through them. I think there's a big list that someone put out the other day. Um, however, it was very, very clever, and I'm glad that they've done and packaged the W League, the A League, the Matildas and the Socceroos uh, and, and the young uh, national teams, for that matter, all on the same uh, bill. So I think in total, I think it works out to be about $600 million, and that includes those contra arrangements. Uh, that's for the whole package on, on Paramount through Viacom CBS. Uh, I, I, it's it's a clever thing that they did, and I'm glad that they did it like that. But um, I'm still, uh, are, are people going to go for it? Is there enough there for people to say yes? I'm going to sign up and pay my nine dollars a month for that. Um, and also is going to be interesting is how much respect is Channel 10 and the free-to-air aspect going to give football? Um, we've seen it before. We've seen football be very much disrespected by the broadcaster. Unfortunately, um, it got uh, it fell by the wayside in the way that it was uh, treated through Fox Football towards the end there. That's no secret to anyone. Um, there's a, still a little bit to work out, but I think I've come from a bit of a, a sceptical place to a to a more positive space. Yeah, look, for me, I think it's going to be something to around uh, having so many different platforms to spend money on just to watch your football. We've seen that Stan picked up the rights to, to the UEFA Champions League. You still have some leftover stuff on the Foxtel platform would be in an ESPN. We all know about Optus in the Premier League and even that contract ends next year. So those rights will be up for grabs again. It's getting to a tipping point for a lot of people in terms of what they spend money on. I know, for example, I, I won't be paying $10 a month to to plus a basic package to watch just the Champions League on stand. I, I don't watch enough games live to justify that at 3 o'clock in the morning anymore. So um, that'll be one that I say no to. I will jump over to Paramount because it's where the A-League is and it's what we what we watch week in, week out. So I, I will go across. But yeah, I, I think the point around is there enough content there? Is there enough uh, to attract the average person? Um, the answer for me is probably no. Donna, what about you? You know, my biggest concern about Channel 10 and this whole Paramount thing is it was hard enough when you go out to, you know, bars and pubs and whatnot and ask them to flick over to Foxtel to put mm. on. How many bars and pubs and your hotel lobbies and whatever that show sport are going to have this Paramount subscription for us to be able to watch it out I can about? answer that, and I'll tell you what, there is a few of them um, that simply don't offer a commercial package. So in terms of going out to bars yep. and pubs, um, and watching uh, some of these streaming services that are showing the sport, uh, there's no way to do it legally, put it that way. Right, so that's the thing. So, you know, obviously when Fox was on, you could be like, all right, when it was on Fox, 4 p.m. game on a Friday, let's go to the pub, let's have a meal, let's watch a game. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's probably one of the... That's because, yeah, that's because yeah. Foxtel offered that commercial So that's probably package, one of my yeah. biggest concerns in terms of the respect that it's going to show. Uh, you know, um, we also have to... Res- say thanks to obviously Fox for every, you know, Fox Sports, you know, it was a big 16 years despite all the hiccups towards the end and whatever you want to say about it. Uh, they gave us a platform to grow on and I think we've they've done the right decision by moving on. Um, there's going to be a few teething things because obviously, you know, the mainstream TV and 
dead blind haven't shown us the respect that we deserve. And we've seen that when they've cut things off, uh, you know, when you're watching the Socceroos or when you're watching the A-League, you don't get to see the post-match conference, things like that. Um, but what I can say is the promotion um, from images that I've seen, um, even with my husband um, who works within the media, uh, you know, just the Channel 10 guys asking him questions or coming to his meeting in a Perth Glory, with a Perth Glory scarf around their necks. Um, they would never have done that previously. So you can see that they're trying to make the effort. I, I don't think we should be writing it off right now. Um, and I don't, you know, obviously we've got our concerns, but I think we've got to give them a chance. And, you know, they've give, they've you know, pumped quite a bit of money behind it. So it's a step in the right direction. Uh, whether it's going gonna, it's gonna to work for us, I don't know yet. Um, but obviously, like, uh, Neil said, I'll definitely be paying my eight ninety nine or whatever it is to have it because I'm not going to miss out on my elite football. Yeah, um, I think I think that most of us will be in the same position. It's just a, a case of how big the uptake is initially um, on uh, on those those um, subscriptions. So yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting time. Um, for me, look, Fox did a lot of good things with uh, with the A League, but there's definitely a few uh, a few things and a few people I won't be too sorry to um, to see uh, left behind. So it'll be interesting to see who does get a gig with uh, with Paramount and what sort of personalities come across and what the the production is like because that's going to count for a lot as well to get people hooked. Speaking of getting people hooked, the last question is just again coming from Facebook. It's uh, from. Um, it's from Alec, our, our friend Alex Ferguson again. Uh, any ideas of how Glory can capitalise on the football community who don't show up to attend the matches but seem to still have a bit of an old European League elitism? Now, if we could solve this issue, uh, we'd be in probably working for Football Australia at this stage <laughs> and uh, reshaping the game. But is there anything you would like to see happen to uh, to address this plane over the next while? <laughs> Oh, this, this, I mean, this has been an ongoing issue and you're not just, comp- football doesn't just compete, um, is now competing with itself, if if, you, if I can put it that way. Football's got to compete for that entertainment dollar. There's only so much money that people have to get around. And if you've got a, a far European allegiance that you're rusted onto, that's what you're going to go with. Um, there is the argument that, of course, you know, uh, that the A-League isn't, or Australian football isn't up to the standard that you prefer. Um, that argument's never stood up for me when people are sitting there watching the, the Italian third division, you know, and, and things like that. So um, people have got their interests, people have got their, their their allegiances, and I think that's just the way it is. As, as much as it irks me, the same that it probably um, irks, um, you know, Sir Alex, who's sending the, um, the question in. I'm really not sure there's much that we can do about it um, besides possibly um, really kind of uh, waiting for that generational thing to come through, getting out to your schools now. So when these guys are um, and kids are of, of, of age, they are kind of wanting to be. And I think it's slowly, slowly happening, uh, more in the female side of the game where they're looking up to players like Sam Kerr and Lydia Williams more than they're looking up to, you know, uh, overseas stars. Um, but however, we haven't quite got that in the men's side of the game either. So yeah, I'll probably, I'm not really sure what I'm, what I'm meant to say out of all that, but uh, yeah, hopefully 
hopefully some thoughts for, Can I just say for it's Alex. Not Perth score. It's not just a Perth glory issue, this European might. It's, it's across the whole league. Even when you go to Melbourne or you go to Sydney, mm. uh, wherever, you, you've got them following you around, um, these people and, you know, what they say. And I, I completely understand what he's trying to say. And obviously because we're in Perth, we hear it a lot. But it's not just a Perth glory issue. It's happening across the league. Um, and it, I don't think it's something that's going to be fixed ever. Um in any way, shape or form. I think we just got to rely on the fact that, you know, us who are here to promote the league and um, who actually have a passion for it and want to make a change that we pass it on to whoever it is, our friends, whether we're educating them, our children, who like whatever it is, generations and generations, you know, down the line. Um, but I don't think it's something that's ever going to be fixed. And like you said, Neil, if we could fix it, we would be running the show, but we can't fix it. Um I, you know, it's something that's always going to happen and I really hate it when people say, oh, it's a poor quality. Have you watched it? It doesn't – it's our top league here. That's it. And you've got players here that are playing fantastic football. You've got some of the best players um, over here. You've got some that have been produced that have gone on to do great things. I mean, you know, you've got coaches that are going on that have coached in our league that have gone on to take big gigs like Postacoglu um, is one of the biggest ones. So let's, you know, let's think about that as well. I think um, – we need people need to stop rubbishing the league and accept it for what it is, and then we can move on. But this whole European thing, I don't think it's ever going to change. I think it's always going to be here. I think the key the key for me is to make the game and the clubs and the A League as accessible as possible. You want as least amount of hoops as possible that people have to jump through to be able to get a look, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And after they keep getting into this motion, it's then that you create that connection and that rusted on fans. So it's it's going to be a time thing. And I think it's uh, – we had that, uh, I think, to go back to the, the good old days, quote, unquote, uh, we had a lot of that in the, in the NSL because there was no alternatives. It was rock up at the gate, get yourself a $5 ticket, get yourself some chicken and chips and, and sit on the bank and watch football. That's how easy it was. Whereas now I think there's so many more options out there and – there's just a few more hoops that people need to jump through. And if, if you're not that rusted on fan that is really going to crave their football and seeing their team, then I'm not sure that you're going to, uh, you're going to uh, bypass other things to go and go to, go to the A-League or go to the glory. From my perspective, I think both sides just need to accept and be okay with the fact that they're not going to be the number one choice for everybody. There's nothing wrong with Glory being somebody's second or third favourite team. You know, the aspiration doesn't have to be having thousands and thousands of rusted on supporters. People have their English team, they've got their Italian team, they've got their French team, whatever it may be. And that's perfectly okay. We're in a we're a very we're in a world where it's very easy to access football from across the globe at, the, at your fingertips. And I think the clubs need to accept that and try to, to not necessarily brand themselves as, as everybody's biggest passion because it's not going to be that way for everybody. And at the same time, I think the, the, the supporters or the Euro snobs can realise that there is a lot of um, benefit to uh, getting out to watch a game every week rather than maybe getting to Manchester once in 50 years. I mean, nice experience and all, but there's no substitute for regular live football if you're if you're a football fan so you can have both in your life and there's room for both now the arguments against what goes on at glory is is around uh one the football being played and that it's not as exciting and entertaining and attacking as as um as people would like and you know that's that's a that's an opinion held um you certainly can't say there weren't goals in there uh, in the season for glory because they actually finished in the the top half of most goals scored, but also in 
the bottom half for most goals conceded. So there was the the goals per game ratio was actually pretty good. So it, it really, I suppose, it depends what you define as entertaining. So that's that's a that's a a personal opinion uh, for me. If a team wins one nil and they put in a really strong defensive performance, that's as exciting as uh, at times as a four or five nil win. So it depends on what you're looking to get out of it. The other argument against glory and around the A League as a whole is that it's too expensive, and we saw some comments on our Facebook page this week about how they they need to lower prices. The problem we've got in in WA in particular is that. The only place that Glory can play that's suitable for football is HBF Park. And those um, leasing it are aware of that. And this stadium deal is, is extortionate for the amount of money that Glory pay for it. There's no no competition. They can't play at Dorian Gardens for anything other than the, the FFA Cup. They can't play regional because the lights aren't suitable for, for A-League and nobody will go and watch them play at an oval on a regular basis. So you're left with... I mean, we had Tony Sage in the past exploring, was it... Um, the Burrswood Dome to play indoor yeah. and the uh, the hockey stadium <laughs> as well to play on AstroTurf. Two absolute pie-in-the-sky suggestions. But that's how far you, you had to go to look for something that might be viable because there's nothing here for us apart from H- HBF Park. So until that rent comes down, Glory have to survive um, because they don't make money off food. They don't make money off beers. They don't make money off merchandise. And they make very little money off tickets. Um, a lot of their money would come from sponsorships. So it's it's very difficult for the club to be in a position to lower ticket prices when it's already so close to the bone in terms of uh, in terms of the money that they're they're losing. Um, especially this year just gone when they had restrictions and caps in place and people couldn't attend or people were wary of attending for health reasons. So uh, I know I've rambled on a little bit there about about um, about it, but um, but yeah, they they would be the uh, the things I think people would like is cheaper prices, better football. Um, but you also have to certain have a certain level of acceptance that Perk Glory is not the highest standard of football in the world, and it's never going to be. And until you make yourself comfortable with that, you're probably not going to get as much out of it as you probably could. And that's what I I've done. I've I, I enjoy Glory for what it is. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's something that if people do that a little bit more, they'll enjoy it a lot more. And there's, there's room for there's room for one team, two teams, four teams in, in, your, in your life if you're that way inclined. So, yeah. Anything else you guys want to add before we wrap up? You're a very no. sensible man, Neil. <laughs> yes. Just yeah, about to wind up to finish up, mate. I have my, have my moments. It's been a long <laughs> week, four days. I mean, I've been on for a lot of long walks. He's been holding that in. <laughs> Yeah, I've like, actually just... someone to talk to during the day. It's great. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Um, thank you guys for catching up. It's been really good. Um, for everyone that's listened, thanks a million as well. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. All Far Post Perth for the handles there. And hopefully, yeah, we get back to normal in WA very soon. And we will have another catch up before it's too long. So, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, thank Neil. You. Thank you, Donna. All right, and to everyone else, enjoy school holidays and whatever, uh, whatever, wherever that takes you. And hopefully, you can get out and either play or watch some football over the next few weeks. And hopefully, we will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Far Post Perth podcast. You can keep up to date with everything football by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Far Post Perth.